Today we continue our walk in Colossians chapter 3, and we start with verse 12. Colossians 3, verse 12. Paul writes, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against the other, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Walking with Jesus. Today we put on our walking clothes. Last week we we took off the bad because we can't just stay the same in our lives and add just a little bit of Jesus to what we're doing We've got to get rid of the old. We've got to purge our closet from all of the old tattered rags in order to make room for the new robes of righteousness in Christ. We're going for a whole new wardrobe change. So we're supposed to put to death sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetedness, to put away wrath and malice, slander, and obscene talk. So we're taking all of that out, and now we're ready to bring in something new. This week, it's time to get dressed with the identity of Christ and the virtues of Christ. To put on is an imperative. It's it's not just a suggestion. It's a command. Do this. Put this on. It's an intentional action, and it doesn't just happen by accident. We don't just wake up in the morning accidentally being virtuous. We wake up in the morning accidentally being filled with vices. And so we need to be intentional about putting on the virtues of Christ. We have to select them. Just like every single one of you and those of you with spouses who collected your clothes for you, you put on your clothes intentionally today. This is a continual practice, a discipline we do each and every day. We put on the good. Paul starts off with talking about the identity pieces of who Jesus is that we are to wrap ourselves up in. He starts off by saying, you are chosen. Now, chosen is this incredible thing. It's incredible to be chosen. I've longed to be chosen my entire life, and I can remember all the way back to in the the days of, of being in recess, and we're picking teams for kickball, and it's between me and a kid with like a cast in his arm and leg and other arm and other leg and bodysuit just long to be chosen, long to be wanted, long to be picked. I think that's just deep down inside. All of us have this wanting and this yearning to be chosen, and and then it's God who chooses us. It's not some, some recess kid picking a kickball team. It's the creator of the universe saying, I choose you. You are the one that I want. And that just, that blows my mind. That for each and every person who's been washed in the waters of baptism, God in that moment said, I choose you. And then Paul says, you're also a part of this identity of Christ to put on this holiness of Jesus. 
To be holy means that you are set apart for something special, that each and every one of you, now that you've been chosen, you've been set apart from the rest of the world to be different, to live out this great commission, to have your heart stirred up to the power of life in Christ, right? To be different for a different kind of purpose. And then he calls you beloved. Oh, beloved, to be loved. It's one of those things that we just not only yearn for, but we need. There's this guy named Maslow, and he puts together this hierarchy of needs, and the first level of need is just the, the physical needs that we have, right? We need to eat, we need shelter, we need clothing. We need just the physical needs met. Then, then, then once you have your physical needs met, then the next level of need that we have is security. We need to feel safe. And above feeling safe then is being loved a sense of belonging, right? to be loved, to belong to a, to a fellowship like we do here, belonging to God. So God says, I want, you to, I want to wrap you up in the identity of my son. I want you to feel chosen. I want you to know that you are wholly set apart, and I want you to know that you are loved. You may not love yourself, but God fully, completely loves you. That is your identity in Jesus. Now, once you've been wrapped up in the identity of Jesus, then you take on the, the virtues of Jesus, and you start to wrap yourself up in the virtues of Jesus. Now, these virtues, they're all relational, right? They don't just have to do with who we are, but they have to do with how we relate with one another in relationship together. They're not just about fulfilling our own sinful desires, but how we serve and love one another. The first one that, that Paul writes that we need to put on to ourselves is a compassionate heart. Now, a compassionate heart is different from where we were last week, where we talked about passion, like the sinful, lustful passion. Well, we, we put that passion off and we take on compassion. We have compassion, we have passion for one another, where we're deeply cared for the needs of one another. This need that we have to fill with one another is, is, is deep down in, in our gut. It's that Greek word, splagizomai. That's like the, the bottom of where, how deep we love. And then kindness. Once you've wrapped up in, in, in compassion, then, then wrap yourself up in kindness. And that kindness is this ability that God has to give us his, his merciful gifts, his gracious gifts, the things that we don't deserve. He just kindfully does this. The kindest person I know is, his, his name is Uncle Bill. He's, he's Sarah's uncle, and, and he is just, he is Jesus wrapped up in flesh. He is just an amazing man of God. And, and we saw Uncle Bill, he's, he's usually from Oklahoma, but he came down to visit some other family in Tampa. We scooted over there a couple weeks ago to visit him, and and he sees our, our daughter, Faith, and he says, Faith, come here. I just want to hear all about you. I want to know all about you. And he just spent time, kind words, gentle words, loving words, and just pulling out of her all the things that she's up to and doing and just showed so much intentional kindness. It's like she was the only person in the world. Kindness. Wrap yourself up in that kindness. And then wrap yourself up next in humility. 
Now, humility is not, not degrading yourself and thinking, I'm the worst person in the world. I've got this fault and this fault and this fault and this fault. That's not humility. Humility is having a right relationship with who you are with God, to recognize that God is God, you're not, but you are at a place of lower. That when you're, you walk into a room, you're not the most important person in the room. That every other person is. That you put yourself as a servant. And then Paul uses this really misunderstood word, meekness. And when we hear meekness, I, I fear too often we think of the word weakness. That we think somebody who is meek, like a little tiny church mouse, is just, is just weak, is just a doormat. But meekness is so much, so much stronger than that. To be meek is this quiet strength. Meekness is, is Jesus Christ hanging on the cross when he could have summoned an army of angels, even just snapped his finger and the nails would have burst out of the wood and he would have landed on, the, on, the, on Golgotha and just said, vengeance is mine, y'all better run. But meekness held him to the cross. That quiet strength. When you have meekness, you have that quiet strength of Christ. That confidence in who you are as a son or daughter of God. Be wrapped up in meekness. And then it's that word that we should never pray for, patience. Because when you, when you pray for patience, remember, he doesn't just, just, here you go. He gives you opportunities to be patient. And to be patient uh, is, is similar to the word endurance. And we had both patience and endurance in chapter 1 of Colossians. And endurance had to do with, with, with persevering through difficult times. Patience, unlike endurance, is about enduring difficult people. <laughs> Being patient with other people. Long-suffering. Patience. And then bearing with one another. And bearing with one another isn't like, man, I can barely stand to be with you right now, but I'm going to be with you. Bearing with one another means you come alongside one another, shoulder to shoulder, and you lift each other up. You bear one another's burdens with each other. You lighten the load for one another. And then love. Once you've wrapped yourself up with all of these different garments of clothing, all of these different virtues of Christ, the last one that you wrap around yourself, the final piece is love. All of this is love. Now, when Paul talks about the fruits of the Spirit, he starts off with love. But here, when he writes to the church in Colossae, he ends with love. Because it's the last one. It's the one that encompasses everything. And then Paul issues out a challenge. He says, if you have been taken on this, this full identity of Jesus, right? You're, you're chosen, you're holy, you're beloved. And then you wrap up yourself with all of these different virtues of who Jesus is. The end result is this. If you are dressed as Christ, then this is what you will do. You will automatically forgive those who have hurt you, just as God has forgiven you. Because ultimately, if you are dressed as Christ, and you will do as Christ does, and you will forgive. And a good litmus test for how well-dressed you are in Christ is whether or not you still harbor resentments or pains or hurts from somebody else. And forgiveness is hard. Forgiveness is hard because it's never deserved. It takes sacrifice in order to forgive. 
Now, if you're all wrapped up in all of these different clothes of Jesus and you stand in front of the mirror, if we're totally honest with each other, then our clothes don't look very good. Because as we go through all of those virtues of Jesus, somehow we like to take all the virtues and just change them just a little bit. So that instead of taking on the identity of Christ, we take on our own identity. We take on these selfish, self-centered hearts. And maybe we're kind, but we're kind to you in order that you might be kind back to me. That's called manipulation. That's not kindness. We have this false sense of humility. And meekness is just overrated. If you really want to get ahead in this world, you've got to be aggressive. You've got to go after what it is that you want and patience, who has time for patience? And bear with one another? Well, I'll do that as long as it benefits me. And love, love becomes a commodity that we just try to get wherever we can, from whatever source we can, without taking the time to think about what kind of love should I be sacrificially giving to others? And then forgiving? Well, forgiving is okay for those that I love, but for those that I don't, then they're not worthy of my forgiveness. And if that's you, if you are harboring, if you are harboring resentment towards somebody else, you, you really have to kind of look back and go, well, am I really dressed up in Christ? Right? Do I need, do I need to put on a, a, a new shirt of kindness do I need to step into a pair of humble pants in order to forgive? And forgiveness is hard. Forgiveness in the, in the Greek gives this idea that forgiving others is an act of grace. It's given freely without being deserved. And too often we hold on to resentments because we feel like the other person isn't sorry for what they've done. And holding on to that resentment just causes poison to flow through our veins. I want to give you, maybe this will be helpful, three different types of forgiveness. And maybe in, in the course of this, maybe you'll find a way to forgive somebody who's been very, very difficult to forgive. So this, the three types of forgiveness, this is by a guy named Dr. Stephen Marmer from UCLA Medical School. He talks about these three kinds. Number one, exoneration, forbearance, and release. Now, exoneration is the type of forgiveness that we just kind of have from a biblical kind of sense that it's forgiven it's forgotten it's the way that god forgives us right he exonerates us he removes the guilt out of our soul and gives us his righteousness he wipes the slate clean it's a genuine accident and somebody is sorry or it's a child who, who didn't know any better and, and and they repent they own up to it somebody that you care about makes a mistake, they genuinely take responsibility, and they offer to make amends and reparation, to, to make it right again. Those are easy people to forgive, right? You, you, you love them, you want to forgive them, you want to set them free, you, you, you just remove the guilt from them. I forgive you. And then, if we get a little bit more difficult, then we get into, we get into forbearance. Now, forbearance is when somebody hurts you and then they offer an apology, but it may not seem to be fully authentic. Or you still have, a, there's this, a, something in them that makes you kind of just want to hold a bit of a grudge. It's similar to, to forgive, but not forget. Or trust, but verify. Or where you just have this 
thought that this person probably isn't totally trustworthy, like a teenager. <laughs> like when your son or your daughter um, sins against you in some way, shape, or form, you caring for them, you forbear with them, you forgive them, but you're also not going to necessarily take their word for things. You are going to follow up and verify that what they're saying is actually true. That's forbearance. Still forgiveness. I'm not sure I trust you just yet. And then there's the third kind, release. Now, release is the type of forgiveness that we offer those who have wounded us deeply. Right? I'm talking about the type of, types of wounds that are of, of abuse or, or, um, or infidelity or mistrust of one deep way or another. And maybe that person just continues to perpetuate those hurts on you. And in those situations, exoneration, that doesn't make sense, right? Because if you exonerate them, you remove the guilt completely from them, and you continue in a relationship with them, you're just going to get continually dumped on. And forbearance doesn't quite make sense because you're still engaging in a, in a, in a close relationship with that person. But sometimes we have relationships that we need release from. that we need to be able to still not just hold their guilt to them because that continues to build up poison in our veins. But for their sake, for our sake especially, in order for God to bring healing into our lives, we need to share forgiveness with them. But those who have wounded us the most. And we do it not just for them, but for us, because we are deserving of sharing forgiveness and then receiving God's healing. And then setting up effective boundaries so that that person no longer has the capacity to hurt us anymore. Right? We don't continue in a relationship necessarily. The goal is forgiveness, but not re-engagement. To release. Now, now, sometimes in those very, very difficult circumstances, there's a couple things that we can do that make it a little bit easier is the first of all, remember and think about that that, that person, um, who they are and what they've done is a reflection of what's been done to them. Right? Because people who have been hurt hurt other people. Hurt people hurt people. And so to see somebody who, is, who has hurt you deeply, to take the time to step back just a little bit and see that person as somebody who has been hurt themselves. And then the next piece is to start to try to have empathy for them. To know that they know what it feels like to be you. And again, you're not condoning what they did. You're not, you're not letting them off the hook, but you are forgiving them so that you can receive the healing of God. Now, taking stock in all of these things and, and all the ways that we're supposed to dress, as I said before, as we look in the mirror, we're still less than Christ. Right? We still don't quite measure up. We still haven't done enough. And so it's incredibly important to remember that, that like the, the prodigal son who comes home to the forgiving father, the prodigal son, is, is, he hasn't cleaned up his life yet. He's still an ugly mess. But the first gift that the father puts on is this robe of righteousness, and he covers his son with the righteousness of himself. And he says, you are mine, you belong to me, you are my family. 
and in the waters of our baptism and each and every confession and absolution and every moment we come to the Lord's table, the Father wraps his robes around us. The Father wraps the robes of Christ around us and says, you are dressed up like my son. Remember, Jesus was chosen. He was chosen as the Messiah to save the world. That was the Father's plan. He chose his son to carry out that plan. Jesus was holy. He was set apart for this task to save the world completely and perfectly without sin, holy. And he was beloved. Remember during Jesus' baptisms when the heavens opened up and the Holy Spirit descends on him in the form of a dove and we hear this booming, resonating James Earl Jones voice of the Father saying, this is my son whom I love with whom I am well pleased. He's beloved. And he has this compassionate heart that when he looked over the city of Jerusalem, he wept and he had compassion for them because they looked like sheep without a shepherd. He has incredible kindness doing for things, doing for people things that they don't deserve on a regular basis. He was incredibly humble as we look at, at Jesus during the Last Supper, washing the of his disciples doing the job of a servant for his disciples and reminding them I did not come to be served but to serve and his meekness that held him that quiet strength that held him to the cross resolutely his patience being slow to anger abounding in love giving us time time after time after time to repent and return to him and he bears with us with that promise that I will be with you always and in your weakness, God is made and revealed strong. And the forgiveness that he offers is that full exoneration, that when he forgives you, he forgets your sin. Scripture says, I remember it no more. Complete and total exoneration. And his love that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now when we are dressed like this, put on his clothes, not ours, then this is how we walk it out into practice. Paul says we are ruled by peace. Now being ruled is less of like a king kind of rules and more like a rudder rules a ship. We are driven along, we are piloted by, we are controlled by the peace of God. The peace is our rule in our hearts and we are thankful. Remember that word in the middle of the Greek word for thanksgiving is this word for grace. But the more and more thanksgiving we have, the more and more of God's grace that we see, and the more and more God's grace that we see, the more thanks that we have, and the more thanks that we have, the more grace that we see, and it just continues to build throughout our lives. And that we are to let the word of God dwell in us richly. That we desire more and more of God's word. That we hunger for more and more of God's word. We reduce the, the time wasters in our lives and we spend more and more time in the word of God that it would dwell in us richly. And then teach and admonish. Who are the teachers that you have in your life? Who you listen to to grow in your faith? Build more and more into your life. And then that admonish word, that's a little bit uncomfortable, but I want to clarify exactly what that means, because what that doesn't mean is, I admonish you, I admonish you, I admonish you, I especially admonish you in the back, Tom. Because admonishment, Christian admonishment, happens within the context of great, strong, compassionate relationships 
among people who have been dressed in kindness, dressed in humility, dressed in meekness. I want to give you an example of a great Christian admonishment that happened to me. His name was Charlie. Charlie is one of my in, a congregant in one of my former churches. And Charlie came up to me after I'd been a pastor at this church for five years. And, and it is set out very similar to in the sanctuary, right? You've got this section, you've got this section, you've got this section, you've got this section, only they're a whole lot smaller. And Charlie said, Pastor Tig, I love you and I feel so bad about talking to you about this, but I just, I just have to say something because when you preach, you preach to this section, you preach to this section, you preach to this section, and I sit in this section and I, you don't ever look at this section. I'm like, Charlie, I don't like that section. No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that at all. I'm like, Charlie, I think you're right. I'm so sorry. And so the next Sunday, Charlie comes running up to me. He's like, Pastor, Pastor, thank you so much. I felt so loved because you preached to that section, to that section, to that section, and you looked me right in the eye when you preached in this section. He said, I felt so loved, like I belonged. See, Charlie was a man who, who was dressed in kindness, in meekness, in humility. That's the way we're supposed to engage whenever we need to admonish somebody. It's an incredibly important thing to do, but it should almost pain you to do so. Admonishment. And then sing. I imagine the singing of, of hymns and songs of praise, of just the joy that's inside of you, bubbling out and bursting out uncontrollably. And, and this, has been, this has been documented and researched, that when you sing songs together in a group, there is a growth of fellowship that happens right there's this this incredible thing that that happens where you start to feel more and more connected to each other so and it doesn't just even happen if you have great voices you can have good voices you can even have horrible voices and when you sing and make a joyful noise to the lord it's scriptural you get tied together and bonded together in more and more fellowship so i don't want to hear any excuses i want to hear the worst singers of you singing loudly as we close our service today because it grows us together in our faith that we do this together in the name of jesus i have a really good friend his name is wes and wes would often ask me just to, to point out just some intentionality today and give you a challenge as you go home today Wes would often ask me, what three things would you like other people to see in you today? And I'd, I'd, I'd think about that, and, and what are three characteristics that I would like other people to see in me today? And I would throw this challenge out to you, out of the different virtues that we've talked about today, whether that be compassion, or, or meekness, or, or humility, or whatever, or, or whatever thing that we've talked about today, I want you to pick two, I'm going to make it easier for you, pick two, and practice those today. So that other people would see that reflected in your life. Pick two and practice those. And know that it's not you, but it is God in his joy wrapping you up and dressing you with the righteous robes of Christ as you do. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we praise you so much that you, you are a God who has chosen us, who has set us apart to be holy, who has called us beloved. Now wrap us up in the robes of your son that we would take on more and more the, the image of Jesus Christ as we live in relationship with one another. God, we pray this all in Jesus' powerful and holy name. Amen.